0: What's up guys, it's Jordan Stoltz, the host of the Fitness, Food, and Freedom podcast. Welcome to a new week of episodes, the week of Christmas, ho, 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 and it is episode 139 on this Motivation Monday. Today's Monday's episode is an interview. I've been coming out with a few interviews this month. This one I think you guys will love. This one is with Paul Jarrett, former college football player um, and also advertising marketing wizard and right now the ceo of Bulu Box, which is a startup in lincoln nebraska but they have grown to heights that i'm sure uh, paul e- never even thought possible when he started the company uh they are a multi-million dollar company and what they do at Bulu Box is basically basically is a way a subscription service and a way to Uh, a way to provide you opportunities to sample nutritional products, supplements, vitamins, without having to, you know, Buy whole bottles of them. They're sending out samples so you kind of know what works, what helps, kind of opening your mind to new things that are coming out on the market. So they give you some unique products that you might not even know existed. He talks about that a little bit in the show. That's Bulu Box. Go check that out. I'll link Bulu Box's website in the full description of the show and also Paul's website and social media handles. Go check him out. Go follow him on uh, Twitter and check out the websites I link down there. Today's show, I talk a lot about business with Mr. Jarrett. I talk about uh, his his journey, kind of how he got into his different, his different roles in business, and now his role as CEO of a startup, what his journey has been like, what his goals are, and what his strengths are. And then I talk about the company a little bit, kind of how it has grown. And then we really get into some meat and potatoes for entrepreneurs out there, some really great actual stuff, some things that you guys need to implement immediately in your own business journeys. And I mean, this can go for anybody, right? Whether you are just mowing lawns on the side, whether you just want to make a little extra cash this holiday season, whether you are actually trying to start a major business, maybe you already have a career you love and you just want to perform better. Paul is the guy who is going to tell you how to do that. And today's show is great value for you guys it's gold i hope you guys enjoy it hope you guys enjoy paul and just his raw his raw way of looking at things and just his his kind of no excuses approach to business i think it's great it's really what i agree with and really how i see things as well a lot of what he believes in business comes back to his experiences in athletics and in fitness. And that's kind of how I view things as well. So please enjoy this interview with Paul Jarrett, sit back and relax, listen to the interview, get out your notepad, write down the things he says. Not every day you get a chance to pick the brain of someone as intelligent and successful as Mr. Jarrett. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you enjoy the show by checking out Paul's pages and by leaving a review on iTunes. Let's get down to the show. All right, so go ahead and just tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you? uh, Absolutely. Where'd you grow up? Let's start there.
1: So I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, a trailer park, actually. Um, I am still in Lincoln here in Lincoln. So it's called Shamrock Mobile Home Park, which anybody that's grown up in a trailer park, uh, you know, you don't call it a trailer park. That's kind of a slam. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it was uh, probably about, oh, a mile or just less than a mile from, uh, downtown Lincoln and more specifically like the, uh, football stadium. So I grew up, uh, you know, trailer park kid running around, riding a bike, um, looking up every, um, you know, Friday, or I'm sorry, Saturday and seeing the balloons in the air. And, um, you know, I think at a young age, I learned how to sneak through the, uh, Uh, um, field what is it the field shed door and get out on the field and Mm -hmm. mess around and get chased off the field so yeah I'm a Lincoln kid through and through grew up in a trailer park and kind of was a big uh, sports fan due to having a stadium right next to me and we had Husker football players that would stay in our uh, trailer park too so always just kind of around it but that's hard not to be around it in Nebraska right
0: yeah for sure is that kind of what got you into football was you know, seeing that and did you want to be there someday? Was that kind of,
1: you know, it's funny because I, I, you know, love my, my family and friends and my, you know, my father to death. And, and yeah, I, I, it's funny when I look back, I'm like, man, I don't know if that's actually what I wanted, but it was like, it was exactly what I needed to kind of, you know, um, get that discipline and to stay in control and, um, you know, not kind of act up during class. So, you know, I don't know if it's crazy, but I don't know if football is what I ever wanted. But it was a great tool that I needed, in just sports in general. And um, my wife, who's uh, also my co-founder, uh, she'll be the first to tell you that like I'm the biggest nerd in a jock's body that you'll ever meet. So, in a way, yeah, I'm six five two forty right now, and I've Man. just always been kind of the bigger, faster kid. Um, but, you know, I was also the kid that played Magic the Gathering, you know, um, played the guitar, you know, wish that dad would have kind of let him keep playing the saxophone and, you know, all of that stuff. But, you know, I just, I'm, I'm glad that I went the sports route because I was naturally good at it and I love every minute of it. But, you know, as I look up right now, in our office in the room that I spend the most time in there's settlers of Catan risk Battlestar Galactica there you Firefly, go. and there's just all these nerdy board games on the wall. So yeah, yeah. I'm like the opposite of, you know, most people are nerdy and want to be an athlete. I'm like literally the opposite of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how did, how did you get to be playing football? So how did that, was it just like you were, do you have a great high school career and that kind of,
1: yeah. So, um, uh, I would say mostly because I was super nerdy, probably right around in, um, prior right around fourth, fifth grade, I started getting bullied terribly. I mean, it was, it was as bad as you can, can imagine. I don't know if you, you saw that, uh, what was that? That Keenan video on Twitter the other yeah, day? Yeah,
0: yep, that's been going around.
1: That that was me. Like literally, like I watched that, and it was like you know fighting the triggered moment, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh man, like that was my every day for two or three years from school. Um, and I think you know you just go what you know it, you turn into kind of very animalistic, like fight or flight, right? And um, I just decided to kind of go the into fight mode and. That meant, you know, I hit the gym really early. I mean, my dad was lifting weights. He took me, um, actually broke my leg in a weight room in kindergarten and uh, hanging out with my dad. And then, uh, you know, I think I got my first weight set in my room in about fifth grade. There were those cheap, crappy sand weights, right? Okay. Um, Started doing push-ups, you know, watching the TV shows where the kid stands up to the boy and pops him in the mouth, like all that stuff. And uh, um, then I just kind of figured out really quickly that, Hey, I'm bigger than everybody else. And if I work out and get bigger and pretend to be meaner than everybody else, they're all going to leave me alone. And then that naturally, you know, um, first time when kind of contact football came around, I, I still remember to this day having this moment where I thought, if I hit this person as hard as I humanly possibly can, and the kids hear that pop and they're, and, and see that they're just going to go, oh, I don't want to mess with that guy. And like, that is literally exactly what I did. And it was, you know, the coach, you know, they were like set hike and we ran into each other and I just completely blew this kid out of the water. And, um, you know, and it was totally out of like fear. Right. Because like, I was like, well, if I, hit this kid as hard as I can and scare everybody else, then, you know, I won't get picked on on the football field. I won't get picked on at school. And, um, you know, then I, that was really what kind of the core of how I got really good at football. And then as you know, seventh, eighth grade, and then high school came along, I was already known as like a good football player. Hmm. And then, um, you know, I actually was still really, really scrawny until my junior year. Um, and I did a, um, um, a program called Husker Power 101, which actually Zach Duval, who's now at UCF and coming back to University of Nebraska, he was running this, it was a guinea pig program. There was just, I think, 15 or 30 kids from the state of Nebraska. And um, that summer, I literally did the Husker Power Boy to Epley workout. And I gained, I think, like 25 pounds of muscle. And... You know, really hit the thing that Zach taught me was I was exerting too much energy, burning too much calories, and I toned everything back, you know, gained 20, 25 pounds that year. And then my senior year, I gained another like 20, 25 pounds. And, you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, I had some pretty good sat stats, but I think just being 6'4", 225, I think I ran like a 4.65 electronic, just the sheer kind of physicality coaches I started getting some scholarship offers and uh ended up going to Iowa State so yeah it was all it was all out of you know survival mode is how I think I became good at football
0: trying to get respect was uh were were you recruited as an like an athlete or a position was it a specific position
1: yeah so I think in high school I played quarterback I did some kicking um I Everybody wanted me as a, by my senior year, my junior year actually, as tight end, uh, rush end, and everybody wanted me to come play tight end um, because I could catch and kind of grab the ball and run. Um, But I was still, I played both ways, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to play rush end, so I was actually only listening to the schools that were open to me playing either. And um, Iowa State, which actually at the time, this is 2000, which is forever ago um they had snagged the nebraska football player of the year uh osborne just left who i had formed a relationship with and solich came in and a lot of nebraska kids were unsure about solich and um so there was a group of about six of us including the nebraska football player of the year we all decided together to go to iowa state it was like four hours away um you know head coach was all over us and um he said look I'll bring you in as a tight end rush end, but you do whatever you want to do. And probably the first day or two on campus, just meeting the defensive team and meeting the offensive team, I was like, Oh, clearly I'm a defensive guy. Like I'm just not even going to get along with the wow. offensive guys. And, you know, I was still, you know, a little, little wild child. So uh, yeah, I went defense and actually I, I blew up to a uh, 315 pounds and I became starting nose guard. So. That's, kind of a weird twist of fate.
0: Yeah. So you talked about football kind of being a tool, right? It was yeah. maybe not exactly what you always dreamed of doing, but it was something that was useful for you. Talk about that a little bit more. What did playing football teach you about oh, man. life and you your business now?
1: Yeah. It's, it is embarrassing how much I apply. And, and you know, I won't even say football. I will actually say strength training. Um, how much I apply that to -to day-to-day business Um, and it really I I, honestly I think one of the I I only have a few skill sets I think one of them is um, I enjoy reading and I have decent reading comprehension Um, I also enjoy finding pretty much like star um, you know we call them teammates go figure here Um, but employees are finding like all stars and putting them in positions to succeed. And I have no problem as the CEO to step back and hire smarter people or let people do part of my job if they're better than it than I am. And I think the, um, the third thing comes from strength training where, you know, it's pretty simple. If you have a goal and you know, whether it's, I want to get a six pack, I want to bench press 315 pounds, whatever it is, you set a goal on that day, and you kind of start backtracking right to what you should be doing at the current day that you're in, you know, how many calories you should have, what your macronutrients should be. Um, and so many times that plan doesn't work out, especially, you know, back in the mid nineties when there wasn't a lot of information, there was, you know, nobody was using the internet for these things. And so, you know, I remember the first thing I wanted to accomplish was dunk a basketball. And I think I tried probably five or six different programs to increase my vert and those stupid jump soles. Have you ever seen this? Yeah, I know I have
0: some in my closet
1: probably <laughs> <Yeah>. still. <laughs> they, back I, the bar. I, I followed that damn jump soles program. And by the time I completed it, I could dunk a basketball. And then that really taught me, I think, you know, like, Oh, I tried all these different techniques. I was wearing leg weights. I was doing, you know, calf raises, I was trying all these different things. And then, um, you know, it probably took me five tries and then I got this thing. Now, given those things all probably helped, but you know, same with business, especially a startup. Um, when you're doing something that nobody else has done, you set that revenue goal or that profit or that net margin goal. And you got to, you know, whether it's five years, one year or a business quarter out, you got to work back to, okay, what do I need to be doing today? But okay, what does the entire company need to be doing? Hmm. And 99% of the time you're wrong or it doesn't turn out exactly how you envision it, but you're so much closer to that goal, right? You might not have a six pack, but you still lost 30 pounds. You might not right. be able to dunk, but you can now touch the rim. And, and that simple, you know, putting a goal and then working and backtracking to what you should be doing now. Um, man, I feel like that is just,
0: yeah, that's valuable almost, that reverse almost weekly. Yeah. Almost weekly. Great. So uh, kind of getting your career a little bit. So you played football at Iowa state. Uh, what, yeah. what, what'd you do after graduation? What were the positions you?
1: Yeah. So I actually quit football. Um, I was, I was a starter. Uh, you know, I had, uh, I was a red shirt freshman starting nose guard in the big 12. Um, great stats. Um, I don't really have an excuse. I mean, I did have like a neck injury a knee injury, tore my Achilles. I was just bad body player, always injured, but, um, you know, the next year rolled around and, um, I just wasn't feeling it. And I was just like, I'm miserable. I don't enjoy this position. I don't enjoy being 315 pounds. And, you know, I don't really have, it's interesting. Cause I know in Ames, Iowa, there's like still all these rumors. I'll go back there and they're like, did you get cut for steroids or did you fail out? I'm like, no, I, j- I just literally quit. Like, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And it's so hard for people to understand. Yeah. Um, but I kind of think I just discovered like I didn't love football, and why am I doing this? And and I do remember a moment of coming out on the field and looking up on kind of the sky boxes and going like, wait a second, like I want to be up there, I don't want to be down here, um, I don't want to be you know putting on a show and then thinking about my shelf life as a defensive player and what can I really get out of it. And I was like, this is, uh, and I I should probably be putting all of this energy into something else. Um, and so I kind of out of nowhere walked into the head coach's office and quit, and it was just it sent shockwaves through everybody because I was kind of Mister Football, and um, did had no idea what I was going to do. So I got a couple of jobs. I you know I was really just stuck and kind of in limbo and. You know, I did everything from sell shoes at the mall to bartend to sighting to you name it. And I really didn't do anything for a year. I pretty much dropped out of school. Um, I was trying to get in-state tuition at Am- in Iowa State or in Ames. And um, yeah, just kind of, you know, every, everybody was worried about me. Everybody was more worried about me than I was. Um, I did blow all my money on a Mac computer and I learned how to rip songs off Napster and started selling music. There you go. Um, yeah. So, and and I've always just been kind of had that hustle, you know, yeah. like ever since fifth grade, just you know, ripping music or making mixtapes and selling selling them. And so, um, never been afraid to make money. And then came to university in Nebraska, uh, picked the first major that didn't have a lot of math in it, which was advertising. <laughs> so <laughs> it seemed like fun at the time uh did advertising um I actually ended up going out to New York City and I worked in advertising in New York City um big agency called BBDO work on Nike, Lowe's, um PepsiCo, you know, did like literally the kind of Mad Men 5th Avenue thing um went out to San Francisco worked at an agency called gray worldwide, um, really got introduced to kind of the startup scene. Um, I also locally here helped kind of start a company called complete nutrition yeah. in between all that. Yeah. So I was really early on and, um, helped, you know, from the early days. And I think we had a couple of stores and our CEO said, I think we're going to franchise these stores. And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. And can you talk,
0: uh, can you talk about that a little bit more? That was yeah, sure, crazy man. when I heard that, like, how did you get that, uh... I mean, Complete Nutrition was just starting, right? And then you were, yeah. you just joined that team?
1: So, yeah. So, you know, uh, being a local kid and, and having some, I think, you know, uh, pretty good, like, sports success and, you know, I did okay in school. And um, then, you know, it's interesting because I went out to New York City and that's like my stock locally just went through the roof, right? And um, I actually came back um, before going out to San Francisco and um, I worked at a Nebraska book company. And we, there's about a team of five of us. We launched a brand called Nebo, which was N-E-E-B-O. Um, and that kind of never got off the ground. It was kind of like a student store. Um, you know, uh, it was basically the Nebraska book company rebranded and won, as one brand instead of 500 different kind of local brands. And it was just too little, too late. Everybody hates textbooks and, you know, you can't put lipstick on a pig, you know? Right. And so, um, but we did a lot of awesome things over there and, um, a friend of a friend who I should still probably be buying him beers, um, introduced me to these, uh, guys over at complete nutrition, which I had no idea what it was. Um, they, I met with them a few times and we just clicked and it was the co-founders, uh, Ryan Zing and Corey Weedle of complete nutrition. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I had a lunch. I had no intention of moving. I was making good money. I loved what I was doing. And, um, you know, they just, we clicked and they said, here's what we're doing. And they're like, we want you. And it was almost so strong that I didn't feel it was like genuine. So I was like, eh. I was like, okay, okay. And um, then they started showing me some of their numbers. And I'm not a numbers guy, but the up and to the right numbers that they were showing me, I was like, wait, this is happening now. And you know, kind of like, wait, how did this happen? And once I found out Corey uh, Weedle, um, he had previously had the top five GNC stores in the world, and he left to kind of start this complete nutrition thing. So he kind of knew the vitamin and supplement, excuse me, franchise inside and out. Um, I just decided to jump on board, and man, it was like you know, I, I did the radio ads. I did all the media buying. I helped with the store design, the layout. I had a amazing marketing team. There was two of us. And then by the time I left, there was 14 of us, you know, we had like a $0 budget by the time I left, I think total percentage wise it was around $50 million ad budget. Um, and um, you know, I, I, I would take credit for just kind of organizing and applying some discipline and being a little bit more risky with the advertising and the products. Um, but that thing was kind of a, just a moving like a freight train and I just got on at the right time. And that, that truly is like that experience there is what gave me the confidence to start this company, which is Bulu Box.
0: Yeah, how, is the, how did that begin? How did that, the skills that you used and developed in your career kind of translate over to starting your own company. And then I guess also like what made you feel ready to actually take that plunge? Cause you know, complete nutrition was growing. You had a growing team. Yeah. Uh, what made you want to start your own thing? So, you know, I, I, I got bored at
1: complete nutrition cause you know, we were doing, at the time we were just doing so well and I was there for over a year and it was just every month was, Oh, another 25, Oh, another 40% growth. Oh. And it was just like every, every month was a win. And, um, you know, we ended up getting a big office at a big corner office and everything I needed. And I mean, I was 26 and I was making more money than more money than I am now. I mean, more money than I'd ever made. And, um, It was just, you know, I was just opening Excel and pushing kind of numbers left and right and, you know, having conversations and uh, with, you know, what ad campaigns to do. And I just, it just, I got bored. I'm more of a builder. You know, I get bored with the optimization of things. And so um, I had some buddies that had built and sold a startup in San Francisco. And I just found myself every day calling them, asking them more and more questions and just being blown away that you know, they raised capital. If it failed, they didn't have to like, you know, they didn't have a loan that they'd have to pay off. And, um, you know, they built the company quickly and sold it to eBay and um, they were starting a new company and just, you know, they had said, well, Hey, you know, marketing. And I was like, yeah, and like, you want to come out here? And so got out to San Francisco. Um, I just, you know, frankly, just complete nutrition, was operating so efficiently that I got bored and there was something interesting happening in San Francisco and kind of the Valley. And it was this whole world that I wanted to learn about. And so when I got there, um, I mean, just being a marketing guy with the success that I had had at a few previous places, plus the New York background, um, it feels like as soon as I landed there, I was just having startups left and right contact me. I mean, it was crazy. It was one of those things where, you know, the time that you're not looking for a job is like when everybody's asking you to come work for them. Hmm. And, um, like, uh, I would get into these negotiations of equity and, and I was like, wait, what do you mean? You know, cause uh, we never talked about any of that in Nebraska and, you know, well, we'll give you, and they'd say, we give you uh, 5% of the company or 1% or, or whatever it is. And, um, every company I talked to was exciting and, and it just kind of, this is as cliche as it sounds. I was in a whole foods one day and I bumped into a guy and somehow we were waiting in line talking about things. And he said, you know, you're kind of a CEO type. Have you ever thought of doing your own thing and just taking all the equity? And this is like in a whole foods line, which those lines are absurd long in San Francisco. And um, that kind of thing planted the seed. And then, you know, I thought that's interesting. Just take the whole pie and then divvy it out versus fighting for, you know, like 1%. Um, And then fast forward, my wife and I were running a half marathon. We saw during the marathon samples going out and I knew from complete nutrition samples are how you get somebody to convert to full size. So during this half marathon, the San Francisco half marathon, we're talking about, man, if we could get a sample into somebody's hands, we can get an email um, in return. That's really something. And then ultimately what pushed me over the edge, which is kind of embarrassing to say, but I had a buddy um, in from out of town in San Francisco and he was an entrepreneur and he basically kind of like in a polite way was like, you know, why don't you start your own thing? Like kind of quit being a wimp. Like, you know, and I'd say, well, I'm going to do it as a science gig. And he's like, bullshit, that's an excuse. And I'm like, well, when I save up enough money, he's like, no bullshit, you're scared. And and it was kind of somebody poking me, right? It was probably, it probably went back to that fight or flight thing, right? Mm. Um, and, and I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, like I was mad at him at first, but I, after I thought about it, I was like, he was right. Like, I'm never going to be happy if I'm not kind of like building something and, and kind of controlling something. And um, luckily he also ended up putting in a, just a tiny bit of capital um, to help get me started. Um, but, you know, I would say it was kind of a successful entrepreneur um, poking at me to, um, you know, start this thing. And um, that's why it's funny. Cause that's why now when I meet with entrepreneurs, I'm kind of the same way. And they'll be in school or they'll be, you know, wherever. And I'm like, you know, uh, F it, just do it, just do it. And, 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 you know, they have all these excuses and it's like, how, and if I do this, which I think is a very Midwest kind of conservative thing. And um, I'm, I'm happy to say that I, you know, have um, kind of pushed a few people to start, which, you know, I also tell them, blame me if it doesn't work out, um, which I think a few of them have, but you know, I think sometimes people need that. They need a little bit of, like, poking to, you know, everybody says it's a jump off of the cliff, but I but I think sometimes you need a little bit of a shove, a little bit of a nudge to go over the cliff.
0: Interesting. I was going to ask you if you felt as though you were always meant to be an entrepreneur, but I would put serious money on that. You'd say yes. Is that true? You know, I wouldn't. I, I, really? I
1: Yeah, I never
0: thought of the
1: word i actually hated when people called themselves entrepreneurs like i thought it was such a like cliche thing and i would mock people in their linkedin if it was like this this an entrepreneur you know Mm -hmm. i'm like oh those are just people that can't get jobs right Right. Um, and i never really you know i always thought of myself as more of like a project manager that can you know if you need a website built or you know, if you need something like I'm the guy that could either direct it or do it for you, like I'm, I'm just the guy that will figure it out. Um, I also thought that really someday I would take over like an advertising agency, you know, like as a partner or something. That's so, um, but now that I look back, I'm like, how did I not think that? you know, just the, the way that I was always kind of like trying to solve problems. You know, I would look at a doorknob and be like, this doorknob is stupid. Like, why do they do it this way? (laughs) You know? Um, and so now I look back and I was like, my just definition of an entrepreneur was like so skewed at the time. And my idea of like what they did and, you know, typically people that call themselves entrepreneurs and they're more than willing to like sit down and have coffee with you. And, you know, they, they, they seem like they're at all the networking events and all that stuff. That's like not actually the type of entrepreneurs you want to be hanging around. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you want to find the people that you have to fight to get their time, you know, because yeah. you know, those are the people that are actually doing it. So yeah, I would never have considered myself an entrepreneur, maybe a hustler. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, why
0: I said that. Is it? Yeah, know, telling me about, I mean, it seems like everything, you know, you're hustling to, you're just kind of after that almost like a, a thrill almost kind of. Well, yeah,
1: you know, like it's funny. I'm, I'm wearing Jordans right now. And it's like, you know, the first problem that I ran into when I was little is my parents wouldn't get me Jordans. So, you know, I had to figure out, um, if I wanted to be with the cool kids or not bullied or whatever, like, how do I go from my, you know, XJ nine thousands, which are a brand at Payless <laughs> to Jordans. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I tried everything and, my like literally first kind of successful hustle was um mowing yards buying stuff at a flea market like ninja stars and then marking them up like quadruple the price and selling them at school and like all the kids wanted ninja stars um all the kids wanted like knives and so you know like switch blades and all that stuff like you know all little third fourth fifth grade boys want those and then um Explicit lyric CDs came out right at that time. And so anything with that little explicit lyrics mark on oh. it was worth about $40. <laughs> and so back in the day, you could like buy CDs for like a penny through these BMG or Columbia House. I don't, do you remember those? Was that, uh, no, I might
0: be, I might be too young for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you
1: like literally in the newspaper, you would get these things and it would say 12 CDs for a penny. And then you buy one CD at full price. And I figured out I would literally make up names like, you know, general John Smith and, and I would get the, like all the CDs for a penny. And then I'd just never pay for the last one. And then I'd turn around and sell those. So, you know, sorry, BMG and Columbia house, but <laughs> they, um, awesome. they, they kept me from getting my ass beat from, you know, third grade to sixth grade. So yeah, like um, I, I think i learned from my early age of like, Mowing yards is great, but if you just mow yards and use that money, like it's like really hard to make it worth buying a pair of Jordans, but if you can take that money and kind of turn it into double, triple, quadruple, you know, then you get then it's like you did, you know, 3 months of mowing plus you got your Jordans. And so, I think That's I'd crazy.
0: The yeah. business lessons that you're learning as a third grader. Yeah, man. Everybody wanted those.
1: Yeah. Everybody wanted those Jordans. It's funny now too, because like I'm wearing, it's like so embarrassing. Cause I'm like, I got a thing for Jordans. You know, I like limit myself to only being able to wear like our own two pairs. But the, um, actually the, uh, there's, he, I might get in trouble for saying this, but Sam, he owns eat fit go. Have you ever talked to that guy?
0: I haven't talked to him, but I've, it's actually, I'm planning on it. I was going to reach out to him. He's, he's
1: awesome. So, um, first time I met Sam, um, we were talking and I like looked at his shoes and I kind of looked at, you know, we, we talked about his background or whatever. And, and I just stopped like, you know, it was the first time I met him. I just stopped and I was like, you poor grown up too, man. And he kind of like looked at me and I was like, I was wearing Jordans and he was wearing some like Nike SBs and you know, he had like a nicer watch on than I did. And we we're like kind of joking about like part of it is, <laughs> you know, you just learn the hustle when you're little because you just never had the opportunity to get
0: any of those things. So
1: yeah yeah, I think he'll have a similar story. He's a, he's an
0: awesome guy though. That's awesome. I'm going to reach out to him. What's uh kind of as Bulu box uh, was starting, what are some of the kind of maybe some milestones that you had in the business and big accomplishments that meant a lot to you or were exciting?
1: Yeah. So we, um, we raised capital for the business i don't know how familiar you know a lot of people in the midwest or your listeners are um about raising capital but when we started like we had no idea what that really meant um embarrassingly you know we kind of came up with the idea put together a business plan launched and and i, I am truly kind of embarrassed by this but we did that all kind of within 60 days um and we raised half a million in 60 days and then i think we got the rest up to about 1.4 million within the next kind of 90 days total so from that san francisco half marathon to 1.4 million in the bank it was only a couple of months Mm -hmm. um and you know that was a huge milestone we're super proud of it given we my wife and i uh, my wife is my co-founder we had a background of advertising marketing experience in the industry um we were a good bet we weren't kind of blind out of college we had some really good New York and San Francisco experience under our belt so that first raising capital I mean it was just it was kind of surreal I mean it was uh it's hard to explain I mean I signed a letter of intent and I won you know some championship games at different levels and you know total other side story like I fought MMA and won matches in that but like man raising capital and you know having a group of people that believe in you with investors like that was you know that will always kind of be significant um and then just you know getting sales from people that you have no idea who they are you know i remember mm-hmm. steve steve from arkansas was the first sale of somebody that we couldn't connect to so they had just you know steve just randomly Cost some advertising. Yeah. And like, it was like, you know, we're all, you know, there's like three of us and we're all, or four of us, we're all checking our social media connections, emails, whatever. And it was like, holy cow. So I'll always remember that. Um, And we did what any, you know, smart startup would do with um, 1.4 million at about. 9am we went out and had shots at the bar because we were so excited about it (laughs) so um so those are kind of the big things I think and then you know there's just so many ups and downs and you know you try not to remember all the terrible things that have happened um but you know I always just kind of think if as long as there's one more good thing than bad thing that happens you're in business and you know getting to 10,000 monthly recurring revenue, getting to a hundred thousand monthly recurring revenue, getting to 500 K monthly recurring revenue. Um, and you know, really our business now is we build subscription boxes for other people. Um, and so becoming self-sustaining and profitable and, you know, we just handed out, uh, Christmas bonuses, which is like so cool. Like we got everybody health insurance and Christmas bonuses and, So, you know, anytime it's like a team celebration, I think are the times that really stick out.
0: Yeah. What, uh, what advantages do you think maybe starting this business in the Midwest gave you? Was that a good thing or is it maybe more of a challenge than being in San Francisco or New York city?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, 99% of people that you ask that question are going to, um, just complain about, oh, there's no capital here, or there's no, like, technology talent here, Mm -hmm. Um, which I say to them, screw you. That's your job. You have to solve for that, right? Um, So the reality, though, is also, like, there's some truth in that, right? Like, um, but you shouldn't complain about it or throw in the towel or whatever. So, you know, I think the reality is that um, the the folks with money and not all of them, but the vast majority of wealth in the Midwest is not supportive of the startups and the ecosystem. Um, so that's kind of, I think the, the biggest challenge. The next is uh, technology ta- uh, kind of talent, but I think with software and technology and, you know, you don't have to know, to code to build an e-commerce website anymore um i think that's changing pretty rapidly and i i remember a time when graphic designers were unbelievably in demand and you know adobe you know wasn't adobe that it is now and you know graphic does not not everybody could do graphic design and i remember when graphic designers were making an incredible amount of money and then over like a five-year span, it all came down to kind of like market, you know, average market value, which I think will happen with developers—not all developers—but um, I think that's going to happen quite a bit. So that solves that problem. I will say, the advantage, huge advantage that I think more now than ever is relevant and important is that. Nebraska has low overhead. So a lot of the East coast, West coast startups and VCs Mm -hmm. and everybody are kind of getting sick of just burning, you know, a million dollars a month on, you know, just overhead and losing houses. Yeah. And just like losing money on people, like just, you know, like why are we paying developers, you know, 200 entry level developers, a quarter of a million dollars so they can live in San Francisco. And I think, you know, even the L, the people that invest in the venture capital funds, the LPs, I think everybody's starting to wise up and go like, okay, this is crazy. Like a 500 square foot apartment shouldn't cost $3,500 a month for a 22 year old, you know, that's just right. crazy. Um, and so, you know, and, and this has been like in the last couple months, actually yesterday I missed a pretty big meeting because I was busy with a VC from a prominent firm that came into the Midwest, but um you know they're kind of exhausted on these pump in a bunch of money grow a customer base and then cross your fingers that you can monetize it and actually make it profitable a lot of ec's are interested in putting in a reasonable amount of capital creating a profitable business not just a business that burns money getting customers um and i think nebraska is in a great position for that i was just looking at a stat on um an individual person and this is a study by MIT um, an individual person to basically live in Nebraska, pay for food, pay for shelter—kind of Maslow's hierarchy—is nine dollars and ninety-eight cents per hour. Now, I'm not recommending that's what you pay, but you know, MIT said it's nine dollars and ninety-eight cents per hour, and in San Francisco, it's something like thirty-five dollars per hour. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, so it just kind of shows you like that difference and so you know when you can start pitching tech talent or other people like hey you can live like a king in nebraska on you know 80k 100k 150k um you know you get you get some attention um and so yeah i think nebraska uh just costs which is huge and then i think the other thing is you just cannot beat the people here and that sounds so cliche but you can't beat people in the Midwest. It's very team atmosphere. It's very like people are very much like people are pulling for each other on the East coast. Everybody's trying to take advantage of you on the West coast. Everybody's trying to tell you how important they are. Um, And I'm fine saying that And my friends, you know, on the East coast and West coast can kind of deal with that. (laughs) And in the Midwest, it's like, Hey, how can I help you? What can you do? And you know um, we have a, we just secured a hundred thousand square foot warehouse and there's no way that the person that was negotiating that with me directly one, I would have ever been able to talk to them if I came in from out of town or from another state or or whatever. Um, And there's no way that they would kind of negotiate and be flexible the way that they are and let us like do a few things on a handshake before the contract was finished and the overall price and, and whatever. Right. But So like that's, you just, you can't beat that in the Midwest. So I'd say when it comes to cost and to people, um, in general, you can't beat that. But also we just have a challenge of lack of capital and lack of technology
0: talent. Nice. Uh, I don't want to eat up too much of your time. So,
1: uh, no, man, you you can ask me, you can keep going, Uh, I'm giving you a shitload to edit though. Okay.
0: (laughs) I assume you edit. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay.
1: Yeah. Good luck editing me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Kind of one thing I wanted to ask you about, I'm kind of diving a little head first into social media yeah. um, with this, with this podcast, social yeah. media is really helping it grow. And then part of my job at Husker Power is running their social media and trying to grow that as well. Oh man, you better be tweeting me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will. Yeah. I will. Nice. You no, can yes. get some
1: boo box and Husker Power banter going back and forth.
0: Yeah, it'd be great. Well. Yeah. So I'm really focused on that growth. I was just wondering how you guys utilize social media or how it helped you grow. Cause you know, it's kind of starting from, I guess, like word of mouth and connections, right from zero (laughs) and then having to grow to build a huge following and get that name out there. Did social media play a big part in that?
1: Yeah. So man, I feel like I can give you the, the bullshit answer. Um, and then I can give you the answer that you probably don't want to hear. Right. Um, oh, and,
0: yeah. You're and, the one I don't want to hear, <laughs>
1: um, you know, there's, um, and, and I would take two things into account. I would take the Bulu box social media and then, um, this sounds so embarrassing and weird, but like the Paul Jarrett brand social media, um, we actually refer to it as the pj.com brand here. Um, because I just don't like speaking about it. in like third person. Um, so when it comes to booboo box, I'll go on that one first. Um, you know, we tried everything we did paid social media. We did, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, I'm sure Facebook likes or LinkedIn likes that are, you know, or I'm sorry, Twitter followers. Um, some of those early on were, I don't want to say purchase, but like we were able to give stuff away and to use money and, you know, there's affiliate marketing. We have a brand ambassador program. Um, you know, we had a physical box going out and we'd encourage people to post online. So we kind of had like a tool, you know, and, and to be quite frank, we should probably have way more on social media for Bully Box than we currently have. Um, but we've never been able to really tie a direct kind of, you know, this is what we spend. This is what we make back. Um, I mean, we have, but it's never been the juiciest thing to pursue marketing wise. Um, when we focus on making a good box, when we focus on, um, telling people to promote the box with inserts inside of it, when we give, um, kind of brand ambassadors, if you will, content and digital assets and money and sweepstakes to like go promote our product. Um, those things turn out, those are much better than, you know, just pumping out content. Um, I would say, um, so the booleabox.com social media account, it's great. I'm like super proud of it. Um, but it's like literally never had one or two or three people dedicated to it. And if it just had like three people, that's all they did. Um, it could be so much more, but the reality is that our business now um, majority of our revenue is coming from doing subscription boxes for other people. So I would say we're just kind of keeping the BooBoo Box social media account running and kind of slowly growing. It's like not it's not in our top five or ten focuses, and it never has been, um, which is kind of a shame because I'm curious what it could be, but it's just never. We just drive customers so many other ways and better ways, right? Yeah. Um, the kind of outcome that I didn't realize in what we've just in the last six months to maybe a year, we actually started tying a lot of new business development, um, a lot of uh, our best employees and a lot of, uh, you know, investors and, you know, a lot of things to my, my personal account. So I've, I've definitely kind of, a uh, I don't know if this is improper to say I'm a bit of a social media whore.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> um, however you want to say that or edit that, but like, you know, if somebody would Facebook friend me, I've just always accepted and I've just always been that way. Um, same thing with LinkedIn or whatever. I've never like really, been shy to add people or, or to say whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. You Um, never know what connection it might be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you
1: know, especially after living in New York and San Francisco, like, you know, you want to kind of keep that alive. And, and also like, you know, I remember when people were on like Friendster and Bebo and MySpace and, you know, Facebook was not the thing that everybody thought they were going to be doing. And so, you know, you're getting all these connections and people are connecting. I mean, I remember when I started on Facebook, it was more like a kind of like, I, I haven't ever tried Tinder, but I was almost felt more dating like Facebook when it first started for me. Um, cause college kids were all using it to like contact each other and you contact that girl in your class or guy in your class or whatever. And so like, you know, um, getting in on kind of the ground level and just like connecting with everybody. I've just always been okay with it. And what I've really found with my personal, you know, and I put Facebook, Twitter, snap, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I actually do Reddit. I've done an AMA on Reddit. I won't tell you what my, you know, that's just the Paul Jerry username, but I have other Reddit accounts, which I'll never share with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Quora, and then actually a blog post. Uh, or just a blog and it's all on pauljarrett.com shameless promotion. We we found out that a lot of our best employees, investors, all that stuff were actually coming through my social media somehow, whether it was somebody sharing it or, you know, whatever I had something to say. Um, and I am not always appropriate on social media. I'm very vocal about politics. I'm very vocal about you know, um, our business, I'm very vocal, you know, I'm not afraid to like call people out. Um, but I would say the one thing that probably attracts people on that kind of, um, my personal brand or that kind of social media thing is the authenticity, right. Um, and, and respect, like those are the two things whenever I post or whenever I comment, I always think to myself, is this how I really feel? And then I think to myself, am I being respectful? and i think those two things have led you know we have our biggest clients that are like you know conservative um republican core trump supporters and you know i'm about as far on the other direction as you can imagine and you know we're able to work together and and you know they actually found me as a client and they've seen my social media posts and hell i think i've gotten arguments with people and then we end up working together right that's awesome <laughs> and, Yeah. And it's, it all comes down to that, like authenticity and respect. So I'm, I've been shocked over the last, you know, six months to a year, um, you know, uh, kind of putting a little bit of focus on that and really my team over here and you talk to Mariah, I mean, it's, it's really actually like her responsibility, um, at how much a little bit of focus and creating authentic content and being respectful and being honest and sharing things, you know, even just the way I'm, you know, you know, being very open on this podcast. I mean, you, you, I think you'd be surprised of asking me tough questions and how brutally honest I would be. Um, and I think that is really kind of, um, struck a core in a lot of kind of entrepreneurs or people that are like go getters. And it's been awesome. I mean, two weeks ago, they flew me out to Vegas for a global accelerator network. And, you know, it was nice to get that all paid for and get like a consulting check. And that's been happening more and more with just a little bit of like emphasis on that brand and, and whatever. So there's that Bulu box brand that's a little bit more manufactured. Um, and, you know, we've just been at that for a while and it's never been a super big focus. And then now since we do subscription boxes for other people and You know, I do a lot of stuff about Midwest entrepreneurship. Um, My kind of personal brand, it's been shocking how productive that has been. And I will say the one tip that I'll give you or anybody else, and, and I had a Google employee tell me this. They said, Google is looking for the authority on a specific subject. And if you can become that authority on a specific subject, Google will be very good to you. And also use all of the Google products. <laughs> so, you um, know, like like um, G Plus and the Google Suite and, you know, Google Ads. And, you know, it's true, you know, that's, that's following that conversation, I decided to focus on subscription boxes. Um, you know, uh, I just asked on like Reddit to somebody to put or uh, ask somebody to work on like a Wikipedia page and like that popped up. Um, and all of those things have like really kind of came back in spades, which I'm I'm surprised. So you know, trying to be the authority on subscription boxes, um, I'm surprised at how powerful that has been, kind of coming back. So
0: nice. What's some specific advice you'd have for uh, like a young entrepreneur, and maybe separate it into two categories? So someone who's already trying to start something. What's some advice you'd give them, and then maybe somebody who has kind of that bug uh he wants to be in the skybox like you mentioned right but doesn't necessarily have an idea that they feel will be successful so kind of what's your advice on the two different levels
1: yeah so i'm gonna curse and you can bleed me out but this is like this is this is everything just fucking do it like that's it there's no you can read as much as you want. You can talk to as many people as you want to do. But, um, you know, when you are, when you're, I have an 18 month old, so this is where this kind of example comes from. Like when he's, we've been working on one, two, three jump, and he can't get his feet off the ground. And that's like such a good analogy for like, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. It's like, he just, he doesn't know how to get his feet off the ground. He kind of knows what he sees and he, you know, sees me doing it and he wants to do it really bad. But there's just that, just that point where, you know, something is going to click in his brain that like he just has to let go and do it, you know? And he doesn't know what it's going to feel like in the air. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he hits the ground. And like, I can tell you what's going to happen. He's going to fall on his face and cry. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and that's the same thing with entrepreneurship. Like, You just have to jump. You just have to let your feet flip around.
0: Sorry about that. That's That's all good, man. You asked me about my kids before. That's my kid right there.
1: (laughs) I got you. I got you. It's all good. I got two of them too. Actually, there's some running around in the office barking outside of my window right now in our office. You
0: got dogs in your office?
1: Yeah, man. We got dogs. We got toddlers it's it's a it's a choreographed chaos in here Oh
0: come on it sounds awesome though.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh i mean we we also kick dogs out uh we've had people that have tried to bring cats into the office um yeah we're willing to give anything a spin but i see simba today and simba's a little uh i think it's like a cocker spaniel and simba's awesome is a rescue dog simba is awesome um, oh, okay yeah. Great. My, like my dogs aren't allowed here. They're, they're little bastards. So. <laughs> <Probably> <laughs> like, they got voted off the Island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but just like, just do it. Sometimes your feet have to leave the ground and, and for any entrepreneur, like they're all, you know, they're like, what book do I read? And I say, well, Guy Kawasaki, the art of start has been the most powerful book for me. Um, When it comes to planning, there's a website called liveplan.com. And that's been, even though it looks like it's for coffee shops, it's all the same. Um, That's been the most powerful thing for me. And then just in general, if you Google uh, Steve Blank uh, tools for startups, those three things I find myself always going to. Guy Kawasaki Art of Start, liveplan.com, and Googling Steve Blank, the art of start. Um, And here's the thing. You just have to go. And if you feel comfortable working on the logo first, if you feel comfortable networking, if you feel comfortable, you know, talking about your business before it exists, and then you go, oh, "Shit, I actually have to do this now? Or if you feel comfortable having a business, making a dollar and then you start talking about it or you never talk about, it, you just have to go because I promise you, you're going to fall in your face and it's going to sting. And the faster, that you can turn those failures and embarrassments into lessons and badges of honor, the faster you'll become successful. And some people never get over that, but man, if you can just shift from survive mode to thrive mode and just say, there's no more failures. There's only lessons and just get over that sense of embarrassment when you fail and just own it you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be great. And here's the other like thing that somebody told me one time and and it was, I thought they were rude at the time, but now that I think about it, I'm like, it's some of the best advice ever. And I say this to other entrepreneurs, um, don't worry so much. Nobody cares about your shitty business, right? And then the second, then that's, like, when it comes to, like, sharing ideas or you're, like, holding it close to your heart or whatever. Like, nobody cares.
0: Yeah, that's, then, that's pretty valuable, actually. Yeah,
1: and then yeah. the second thing is um, don't worry. Nobody cares about your shitty life, which is basically, like, no matter what you do, nobody's probably going to give it more than, like, six seconds of thought or, like, 60 seconds of thought. Or at the worst, like, if you do something wrong by somebody, you know, it's probably maybe, like, six months, right? And, mm-hmm. and by do something wrong, I mean, like, make a mistake or you know do something super embarrassing. But like that whole idea of like, you know, our internal story is often so many times screwed up. And I I find that very common with entrepreneurs and this is totally me, but the story that we're telling ourselves of, oh, what if I mess up? What if I can't do this? What if, what if, what if? Um, that's not what anybody else is thinking. You know, they're they're probably thinking the same thing about themselves or they're thinking about what am I going to have for lunch today? Um, you know, what, what new words did my little kid learn? So don't worry, nobody cares about your shitty business and don't worry, nobody cares about your shitty life. And I say that in the most loving way possible, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of truth in that. And, and what's cool, what I've learned is, man, if you really start to understand those concepts, all of a sudden people start focusing on all the good things that you do and they start to forget all of the errors that you've made right? And so like, I find it humorous when like, you know, I'm on podcasts, or I'm doing blog posts, or I'm like presenting the classes or whatever. So many times there's people in the audience that arguably, like, you know, they have a better mindset, or they have like a better number or, or, or whatever. But it's just this thing that I think I've been able to like let go of the failures and turn those into lessons. And I've stopped thinking about surviving and I've started thinking about how do I create wealth for people around me? Right. And I just learned like, don't worry, nobody stop being embarrassed. Nobody cares about your life. Nobody cares about your business, you know, and, and like just you do you. And then what's cool is how well that usually works out. And then, you know, we have been fortunate with awards and all that other stuff. And that is all outcomes of hard work. That's another thing I think is important for people to understand. Like you don't, you know, um, awards, um, are the outcome of hard work and not the inverse, right? Like you don't win awards and then expect to work hard. Right. You don't, right. you don't like win a national championship and then hit the weight room. You know, you hit the weight room for like four or five, six, 10 years, And then you happen to be on a national championship team. And I think a lot of people kind of get that screwed up as well. So all easier said than done. (laughs) Easy for for me to say. Um, But I promise you today, there will be an issue and there will be something that failed. And it's just that, you know, because I've been doing this for so long, like I will just view it differently and I will move on. And I can think of probably two or three things yesterday that, you know, would have panicked the hell out of me the first, you know, six years ago. And, you know, you just, it's amazing kind of that tough skin that you developed. And it's just like anything, whenever you start something, it's scary. The more you do it, the better you get at it. There's no really secret formula. Like, again, Sorry, you're going to have to edit this, but just fucking do it. That's, that's everything.
0: No, I'm leaving all this in here. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah. People need to hear it, man. I think it's really, I think it's really valuable stuff. Yeah. So maybe let's wrap up here. Can I ask you some, just some rapid fire questions, kind of some random stuff about you, about your company?
1: Yes. I will not ramble on. I apologize. So hopefully Um, it's in there. Yeah. Go for it.
0: So what's your favorite food? Oh, man, my
1: favorite food. Um, I love to get any vegetable possible and then one or two pieces of fruit, throw it in a Nutribullet, blend it up, and that is usually my breakfast and lunch. And I'm talking kale, spinach, cranberries, sweet potatoes, ginger, turmeric, tomatoes, carrots, and then one apple. And just hit the Nutribullet on that and, um, man, you can feel that working.
0: Yeah, what's uh some tips you have for people who are busy so maybe business people ceos whatever and what's some tips for staying healthy
1: yeah um i think the tip is um yeah sleep is way more important than i think any of us want to give it so, um, and that's one thing that I think you can take care of. And I, I could do the cliche like, Oh, you know, eat right, like water or whatever. But I would say like at a very minimal, if you're traveling, you know, take some, I love those dissolvable melatonin tabs, um, that you can just put in your mouth and they're like sublingual and man, those are like, those will put you out. So, um, um, you can get those pretty much anywhere, um like literally a Walgreens or anywhere online. Um, But I think sleep is crucial. And so if you travel, I like to bring some of that melatonin, usually five milligrams or 10 milligrams, put it underneath your tongue and you'll be out like a light in like 30 minutes. And so, um, yeah, I think sleep is something that a lot of people overlook.
0: That's huge. That's something that I've been kind of seeing more importance of too, just for like recovery, even for athletes and Oh man! I mean, mean, just everything. I mean, if you have problems, if you're not sleeping enough, that's just going to make it twenty times worse.
1: It manifests itself into um, you know poor decisions with food, poor decisions in life, and it's just a downward spiral. So I say, you know, I I, and I experimented with it and tried it, and, and you know, you just make better decisions. And it's really hard to go to sleep when major things are going on at work. But here's also what I found review and go over really important or tough decisions that you have to like, you know, um, make at work or life or whatever it is. And it is unbelievable what a night of sleep will do or two nights of sleep and how your brain kind of will arrange that for you. Like your brain, if you take care of your brain, it will do the work for it. And and I really, a simple way to think of sleep is it's dishwasher mode for your brain, right? Like it literally like cleans out, um, you know, proteins and, and other things, and if if you're put if you're jamming it full of dirty dishes all day, which are you know hard decisions and and all of those things, and you don't do full power and put in detergent and whatever, like you're going to get dirty dishes out and they're never going to get clean. So, um, man, you know that six to eight hours deep sleep, don't take caffeine after three p.m., a little bit of melatonin. It is it is a game changer, absolute yeah. game changer.
0: What uh, I got. I- I had a question, kind of like things people can do to get healthier as, like as soon as possible, but I would say like anyone listening that sleep is a huge one. And I would say that that would be it right there.
1: I would, I would say that would be it. The other thing that I'm, you know, this is a pretty polarizing topic, but I'm all about that keto. Um, I'm not doing it right now, but when I have gone keto, um, I think women need to be very careful because you know, women's bodies are different than men's and they need to kind of research keto and see if it's for them. But basically keto, if anybody listening doesn't know, it's just getting rid of pretty much all carbs and sugars. It's more complicated than that, but it's like a souped up Atkins diet, Um, especially sugar um, and especially like simple carbs. But um, uh, actually Harvard just came out with a study that going keto and going into ketosis alone is better than diet or exercise. Um, And so that is, and I would say also, that's specifically for like fat, weight loss, burning, et cetera. That is not for everybody. So yeah, I think sleep, but also just cutting back on the sugar and the carbs. I mean, it's just sugars and everything. And if you can kind of mine those two things, it really helps with your mental focus and clarity. And, and I think a lot of people would drop all the energy drinks and all the other junk that, you know, we take, which Mm -hmm. I take that stuff too. But I think sleep and lower sugar, lower carbs. And, uh, you know, if you can do that over a couple days, maybe a week or two, it's phenomenal. The clarity that you'll have kind of mentally.
0: Yeah. So you, you're wearing Jordans right now and there's dogs running around your office. What are some, what are a couple of ways that, you can create a great company culture. So at the level you guys are at, where you have employees, uh, how many employees do you guys have right now?
1: So we have, I think 25 in the office and a hundred something at the warehouse. So we have, yeah, we kind of view it as like offense defense. Right. And so we call it office team and warehouse team. So yeah, we've, I mean, we've, we've had a good last two years and yeah, everybody, we have two warehouses now, um, over a hundred thousand square feet. We have office space and, um, you know, it's, um, everywhere that I know, everywhere that I've ever been, leadership starts at the, the top and, you know, or the culture starts at the top and the, the, the saying of, if the fish stinks, it's, you know, it starts at the head. Like if the head rots, the whole thing is going to kind of rot. And um, you know, people, people. If you're going to be involved with your company, like people can call you on your bullshit. It's not hard to sniff out a fake politician or a fake CEO or a fake who you know, whatever. So for me personally, like that, off, that authenticity, that respect, being really clear with the goals. And our company is ran much more like a football team versus a company. Like we strike kind of all words in use of family. You know, you can't fire your family, but you can fire a teammate, right? Um, Teammate on a team, the best players on the field on the family are just stuck with who you have. So Mm -hmm. it's a very team mentality focused company, Um, authenticity, respect. And I think it just all starts at the top. And if the, whoever's running the show, if they aren't eating, sleeping, living, breathing those things, it's immediately bullshit. Right. And so, um, you know, we have like out at the warehouse, we have like monthly lunches, birthdays. We do a state of the company every quarter where, you know, we tell everybody what's going on, um, probably transparent to a fault. Um, but, um, it gets everybody in the same direction and row in the same way. And you can ask anybody at our company, like, what are your five roles? And then what are your five milestones for the quarter? And they will be able to recite them. They'll know, how many boxes we're trying to ship by one year, three year, five year, 10 years, they'll know what our core values are. And they'll know like in one sentence what we actually do. And so, uh, and it's like literally on the walls, you know, at the warehouses and at the office. So, and that I think just all starts at the top.
0: Nice. What uh, What are some favorite companies you guys have worked with? Oh man.
1: Um, so we do work with Lululemon. Um, I'm i I'm pretty much in Lulu gear had to actually, Oh my God, I am. That's embarrassing. I have a, um, everything but my bag, I think is Lululemon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we work with them. Um, we do their international brand ambassador box, um, So I'm I was the anti Lululemon guy and then I started wearing it and you know my shorts have lasted for years and years and years and I like to buy something once so Um, and also I was invited to a executive yoga retreat with their like top level people and getting to know them they're all really cool people. they have, I think, a bit of an image problem, but they're addressing that. <laughs> they're they're really at their core. They're kind of um, humble Canadians, and because they're so humble, that doesn't work well in American culture. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm a big fan of Lululemon. I would say, um, you know, some of the supplement brands that we have worked with. There's a brand called Vital for You, which is a fiber supplement. Um, big fan of them and that team. Um, there's a product called Energems. inner gems. I'm a big fan of, um, we work with on it in multiple capacities. I'm a huge fan of, um, alpha brain and kind of that Joe Rogan podcast and Aubrey Marcus and that whole on it world. Um, you know, both a fan and it's a partner that we work with and I'd say even a little bit jealous of what they've built over there. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, we've worked with Adidas on projects. We've worked with Walmart. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of really cool companies that we work with. There's my probably favorite right now is called Vade Nutrition, V-A-D-E Nutrition. And they're making disposable protein pods. So think about your laundry, you throw in a a pod to clean your laundry. Um, They make a really super healthy organic protein pod that actually mixes well. And it's just like Hmm. a little pouch like that. So that's probably like my favorite new and I I met the founder and he's like a Michigan ex Michigan state wrestler and just like a cool story all around. So, but man, we work with thousands of brands and it's hard to, you know, pin down who's our favorite Uh, probably the ones that pay the most money end up being our favorite, right?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) What, what, what are some future plans you have for Blue Box and for you, what are some things you have planned that you're excited about and then just kind of wrap up, tell people where they can find you and find Blue Box?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've said this since day one, I, I probably won't be doing Blue Box forever. Um, but I guess since I say that, I probably will be. But um, no, I, I, you know, the intention was to never do this company forever. It was to build it up have it be acquired. Um, we did create a side business called Bulu marketplace that was acquired. That was really cool process and going through that, um, Bulu box. Um, we've had offers. They just haven't been in what we're kind of looking to be acquired for. Um, who knows it might be a legacy company in Nebraska that just kicks off money. Um, but you know, I'd say, um, you know, in the next couple of years, um, I will definitely, you know, be itching to do something new. And I, and I say, there's two, two routes that I think I'm going to go. And one is either do something really big and really stupid, like try to build a social media website, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. joking, but like, you know, probably try to pull off some big stupid, crazy idea. Cause you know, Bulu box was the biggest thing I ever did at the time, but now I'm kind of like, man, I, you know, uh, I have visions of, you know, putting a rocket ship on the moon. So, um, there's just kind of you know wanting to do that crazy idea, or um, one thing that I'm very passionate about is um, helping not people start as entrepreneurs, but more so people that have kind of taken the plunge and they're stuck and they're not able to kind of scale up. And there's there's so many resources and tools to get people hyped up and motivated and to start. And there's so many resources and tools for. Um, entrepreneurs and companies to optimize but that scaling in between space is kind of like no man's land and it's kind of like puberty for a human like people don't want to touch or look or you know everybody's awkward and weird and I've been there and and, in more ways than one and uh, you know I feel like because I've been in that limbo and got out of it once or twice that there's some really cool tools that we've developed and that I've developed and exercises and and I think that one you know, thing that I might do in a couple of years is I don't know if that's a company or a franchise or a consulting thing, but just finding companies that are stuck and trying to kind of like hit that next level. And I've done a little bit of that in my personal time and it's, it's been shocking how, how fun and how positive it's worked out for those other companies. So I think I have
0: a a bit of a knack for that. Hmm. Interesting. Where can people find you right now? Maybe just (laughs) shout out your social media accounts or Yeah,
1: yeah. It's all Paul Jarrett, P-A-U-L-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Shameless self-promotion. There's pauljarrett.com. I do, you know, the Twitter thing, the Snap thing, the, the Facebook thing. I try to be appropriate for each one of those channels individually. So my Snapchats are like a little strange sometimes and my LinkedIn's are pretty professional, but... More times than none, I get those crisscrossed and it's all kind of uh, just whatever I'm saying or thinking. Um, and then Bulu Box is a company, B-U-L-U-B-O-X, BuluBox.com. Um, give us a try. You know, I'll say this, if you tweet out to us or if you drop me an email, it's just paul at BuluBox.com. Um, I'll be more than happy to hook anybody up with a, a subscription or a discount or something. If
0: you Awesome. Thanks. Show. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. It's good stuff. Uh, Thank you so much. I
1: I appreciate you. And and this is awesome. And hey, man, you are good at what you do. I mean, that was. (laughs) Thank you. I've I've done a lot of these. And I mean, you have all elements going on for you. So props to you. And, you know, I hope you're telling yourself that. And good luck editing me.
0: (laughs) Thank you. No. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll leave it pretty raw. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Sorry for bleeding into this other hour here, but.
1: No, you're good, I man. I enjoy it. it. I enjoy it. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it's uh, good. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And thanks, everybody listening. If you actually made it this far, appreciate you too.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Paul Jarrett. Great guy, right? Great guy, very raw, very real, and lots of great advice for entrepreneurs, businessmen, and I mean, just general people, going through even just health and fitness journeys on how you should see things, how you should view your journey and how you, and what you should focus on in your own health. Uh, thank you, Mr. Jarrett for coming on. If guys go check out his pages, go follow him on social media and, uh, thank you for checking out the show. If you're new, if you came uh, to hear this interview, thank you for listening. And I, it really means a lot if you subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you listening. And that was today's Motivation Monday, my interview with Paul Jarrett. I'll see you guys on Wednesday for a listener Q&A. If you want to get in on that Q&A, just go to triplefpodcastcom contact, just like it sounds, the word triple, the letter F, the word podcast, dot com slash contact head over there and uh and you can ask your question i'll answer it on wednesday thank you for joining me and paul jarrett with this episode episode number 139 of the triple f podcast it's in the books see you guys wednesday